Open your Bibles to Daniel, the fourth chapter, verses 28 through 33 this morning. Daniel, the fourth chapter. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling in my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. There are a lot of folks in the world, particularly leaders, who have a problem with arrogance and pride. I think we look around the world and we can see it today. We can look through history and we can see it. Let me give you just uh, one example of how ridiculous arrogance and pride can cause a person to behave. In February of 2000, North Korean Supreme Ruler Kim Jong-il turned 59 years old. The North Korean state press reported, now they did so without any irony at all, that there were unusual multiple rainbows in the winter sky and remarkable storms rolled through with unusually resonant thunder. The conclusion was nature itself was celebrating the birth of their exalted leader because he viewed himself as God and so did the people. But throughout history, those who have wielded great power, political power, Over nations have imagined that even nature itself bowed to their authority. They believed as their subjects have that their uh, essence was divine and so was their authority. And one of the oldest lies that Satan ever told was that one can be like God in defiance of God. That was first spoken in the Garden of Eden. And it has been told and retold ever since. The pharaohs of Egypt, the Japanese and Chinese emperors, Roman rulers, and many modern day people who have power have all claimed to be gods. The title of the sermon this morning is How the Arrogant Fall. And we will turn our attention to a very timely passage that was read for us, The Fall of King Nebuchadnezzar. When we go and we look at King Nebuchadnezzar and we study his history, what we find is that he was an autocratic, fierce, brutal, and egotistic ruler. He did not care for any person. He kind of uh, reminds me of 
the the poor widow who continually bothered the judge, and he said, I don't regard God or man. And that's kind of the way Nebuchadnezzar was. It's recorded for us in 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25 that he installed King Zedekiah as a puppet, uh, as a puppet king over Judah. What happened was in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, though, he rebelled against uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian laws. And so Nebuchadnezzar came down to Jerusalem, besieged the city, captured the city, took uh, uh, Zedekiah and his family captive. He killed all of his family, killed his sons right before his eyes, just before he put out his eyes, and then he carried him back to Babylon. That's the kind of ruler that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was. The problem with arrogance and pridefulness, though, is it makes one think more highly of himself or herself than he ought to. That's just the essence of being prideful, isn't it? And we see that all around us. But here's the thing. Not all people who are arrogant are uh, well-known. They're not all beautiful. And they're not even all uh, accomplished. But here's the thing they do have in common. Every one of those people uh, are proud of themselves and self-impressed. They think what they've done in this world goes beyond that that anyone else could ever do. Have you ever known those folks? I went to school with a guy one time, and you might talk about something, and uh, if you mentioned something to him, he, he had done it bigger and better or knew someone who did. You know, there's a whole lot of folks like that in the world. These people relish their own glory. They believe their own compliments, and they enjoy the pride which prevents them from acknowledging exactly who God is. But here's the bigger problem. Every one of those things are temporary. Every one of those things are going to go away. People who adore you, they're all going to go away. The wonderful things that power gives you, that's all going to go away. There's going to come a time when people do not fall and tremble before you. That person will fall and tremble before the God of heaven. Even the leaders that uh, we endorse, even the leaders that we want to elect in our own nation have a little problem with arrogance. Look at our political system, brethren. Look at our political system. We've got a party in our nation, and we're a two-party rule. We've got a party in our nation. Their whole platform endorses the God, the things that God despised most. Homosexuality. The murder of innocent babies. And it's even gotten to the point where uh, people are endorsing uh, partial birth abortion. And now, if the child happens to survive the abortion... They want to put that baby in a box and set him in another room somewhere and wait for him to die because that's a discussion that the mother and the doctor ought to have, ought to have according to the governor of Virginia. Is that prideful? Is that choosing when a person can live and die unjustly? That sounds a lot like Nebuchadnezzar. That sounds a whole lot like the North Korean leaders. What about the leaders in China? 
Listen, don't get on the bad side of the politicians in Russia. You might just die from poisoning. Watch the news, right? That's all arrogance. Listen, that's one of the parties, but, but let's look at the other party. You have members in that party that are just as, as bad, right? We have members who are just as bad in that other side, our political leaders. Now, we might lean one way or the other, but here's how Christians lean. They, they lean toward morality. That's how we lean, right? We happen to identify more so with one than the other. Because we do honor the sanctity of marriage. We do honor the preciousness of life. You know, it seems to me the very time in which we live in our own nation is a time of arrogance and pridefulness. Our leadership is full of arrogance and they have usurped the power and the authority of God. Now, we no longer live in the time of the miraculous, according to Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But God is still in control in our lives. He still places in uh, positions of power and authority those who He wants to be there. And He is able to bring about reward and punishment. And it may not happen necessarily in this life, but it will most certainly happen in the next life. He can take away what He wants to take away, and He can give what He wants to give. He is the God of heaven. And Nebuchadnezzar learned that in a very personal way. But it took a journey for him to get to that point. It took a journey. He had to learn some things, and sometimes we have to learn those things the hard way. But now, I want us to talk a little bit about how the arrogant fall, but I guess the main thing I want us to focus on this morning is not all is lost. Because we can't overcome. We can't improve ourselves. Even the arrogant, once they fall, can pick themselves up and be exactly what God wants them to be. As we look at how the arrogant fall, and we use Nebuchadnezzar as an example, let's look at the whole picture. Let's look at how he began and how he ended. And to do that, I want us to begin with Nebuchadnezzar the non-believer. That's our first point. To begin with, Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan. He believed in uh, numerous gods, the Babylonian pantheon of gods. They had several. In fact, his very name means this, O God Nebu, preserve my firstborn. Nebu was the Babylonian deity of wisdom. He was the son of Marduk and he was the head of their pantheon of gods. Very similar to any of the other pagan religions that we read about down through history. There's a council of gods and you have a main god and then you have different other gods. It's just like the Roman mythology or the Greek mythology. Babylon was no different. Therefore, he did not believe in the God of heaven. He didn't believe in the true God of heaven. He believed in several different gods. And he was the least person I think anyone would ever consider likely to be converted to God's religion. But it happened. I believe it happened. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan. He didn't believe in the God of heaven. But he had a big, big problem on his hands. The problem he had is the same problem that's happening today. 
It's a problem with every nation, with every ruler, with every council, with every committee, with every assembly, and every group coming together who have some kind of authority and power who believe that authority and power rest within themselves. That's the problem. It's one problem. There's not several problems. There's one problem. And we read that one problem in Romans 1.28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Why should I bow to God? Why should I bow to God when I am in charge of a nation or a group of nations? Why should I bow to God? I do not uh, honor God nor man. That's the idea, isn't it? They did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. They had acknowledged God, Romans 1.21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. They didn't honor Him. They weren't thankful to Him. And as a result of that, He turned them over and they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Isn't that what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He became empty. His foolish heart was darkened. His imaginations were empty. They were vain. He didn't know who he was, what he was, or where he was. Oh, this great Babylon, which I have built. Like leaders today, Nebuchadnezzar had no hope of changing anything because he didn't understand the problem. That's what's wrong with the world today. You have all these summits in the the G20 nations get together, or they meet here, they meet there, and they're going to solve the world's problems. They're not going to solve any problem because they don't know what the problem is. That's what pridefulness and arrogance does for someone. The problem isn't economic. It's not financial. It's not social. It's not military. It's not problems of foreign policy. It's not problems of government policy, capitalism, free market, or socialism. Those are just symptoms of the problem. When we go to the doctor and we have an issue, do we just want him to treat the symptoms or do we want to find out what the problem is? You go to the doctor and the doctor says you have some form of cancer, do we just want him to send us home with some pain medication so we can treat the symptom that is coming from the problem? Or do we want the problem taken care of? Well, we want them to take care of the problem. See, all these things we're talking about, those are symptoms. We talked about some uh, uh, the problem of prejudice uh, in class this morning. That's a symptom. That's a symptom of the problem. And that's the whole point of Romans 1, isn't it? They ignored God. They did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. The wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against those who do not know God, have not known God, have not glorified God, do not honor God, do not behave properly, do not show the proper kind of worship toward God. They do not think, uh, thank God and they become empty in their imaginations and their ideas. So what happened? As a result of their sinful behavior, God gave them over to a debased, non-functioning mind. That's what sin does for you, isn't it? 
You don't behave the way you ought to behave. You don't behave reasonably when one is involved in sin. Isn't that what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Who was turned over to a debased, non-functioning mind? Think about our own rulers. How are they any different from those in Romans 1? How are they any different from Nebuchadnezzar? We just talked about their different platforms. They're no different. It's arrogant. If a person is going to stand up and they're going to say, look, we want everyone to have a right to murder their own children if they don't want them, that's their right. How's that any different than uh, Israel when they were being surrounded by the pagan nations and they became involved in idol worship and they would sacrifice their own newborn babies to the fire god? They would place their babies in the extended arms of a bronze statue that was engulfed in flames and sacrificed their own children. How's that different than what the governor of Virginia is wanting to do today? It's no different. It's all arrogance. It's pridefulness. It's choosing uh, who lives, who dies unjustly, and it takes and usurps the authority of God. I don't know what these folks are going to do, but I have a good idea what that will be when they bow before the God of heaven. Arrogance can be a fatal disease for the soul, but it's all lost. Well, one may have supposed Nebuchadnezzar didn't have much of a chance, but we can see his slow progression as we study him in these few chapters. So we go from Nebuchadnezzar, the non-believer, to Nebuchadnezzar, the nominal believer. That's our second point. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he demanded that his wise men come to him and interpret that dream. But there was a caveat. There was something else that he added. He said, not only do I want you to interpret the dream, I want you to tell me what my dream was. Of course, they didn't want to do that because the penalty of failing was death. And so their response was this, Daniel 2, verse 11. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other, none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. They didn't understand anything about the concept of God, really. Daniel was brought before the king to interpret the dream, but prior to going in, he spoke with his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he said, pray to God that we might receive mercy. He wanted God to be able to give him the dream and give him the meaning of the dream. And of course, we know the result. Daniel received the dream. He received the knowledge of what the dream was, and he was successful. And that's when... King Nebuchadnezzar made his reply, Daniel 2.47. He said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods, and a Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. You see, the king began to acknowledge the God of heaven, but he was still just a nominal believer. He acknowledged him as just another God, maybe even the, the, the head of all the gods. But not yet 
a true believer. He was still disobedient. He had another dream. Later on, we're going to notice that that's the dream he should have paid attention to. Daniel told him what it was. He interpreted this dream for him, the first one, yet he was still disobedient. He didn't fully embrace the God of heaven. He wasn't paying close enough attention, but he was watching. Chapter 3 tells the account of Nebuchadnezzar's effort to unify the country around a common integrating point himself. That's when he built an image, a statue. That statue was about 90 feet tall. It was about 9 feet wide. It was made of gold. And we recall what happened. He had the, the, the people to play instruments. And when the people heard the instruments being played and heard the music, they were to fall down before that image, I think, which was a representation of him. I think he got the idea of that image from the dream that he had in Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel interpreted for him. Remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And then we are introduced again to Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Well, they refused to bow down. They weren't going to. The disobedient king, though, gave them another opportunity, but notice what they said. Daniel 3, beginning with verse 17. O king, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now remember, you have a king here who was a non-believer. He had the first dream. Daniel interpreted it. He became the nominal believer. So he was working his way toward becoming a believer in God, but he wasn't quite there. Now we have these three men who believe in the same God that Daniel believes in, standing up to him, being respectful, but saying, we will not bow down and worship this. Of course, the king was furious. He ordered them bound. He said, heat the the furnace to seven times hotter than normal and throw them in. Of course, watching, expecting them to be burned alive, He saw the three men walking around, unbound, unharmed. But there was someone else. He didn't just see three men. He saw another one. And he said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God, Daniel 3, 28. Now that may mean like a son of the gods is more likely. Remember, he was still just a nominal believer. He hadn't converted over to the one true God of heaven, but as a result, he moved even a little closer to believing in the God of Daniel, in the God of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. He's getting closer and closer. Now, it's hard to imagine such a man can overcome his pagan beliefs and become a necessary believer but he did. That's our third and our final point. The reader begins to see Nebuchadnezzar conform 
but he was not yet transformed. So we get over to chapter 4, and we can see a change in him, and we can see it through his decree. Notice his decree, Daniel 4, beginning with verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God, and he's talking about the God, wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now remember, previously he had just built a statue to himself. He demanded the people fall down and worship it. Then we see him praising the Most High God. The God Daniel called the God of heaven and the great God. The God that Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael said was able to save if he chose to save. And now he's recognizing him. Not only had his mind changed concerning God, notice how it changed concerning his role as king. Now this is very important. Instead of his subjects existing to serve him, which is I think our problem in the nation today, he saw himself as existing to serve the people, to make their lives better, so that they could prosper greatly, so that they could live the way they ought to be able to live. Now that's something our leaders would benefit from doing. But Nebuchadnezzar wasn't hardly there yet. And that leads us to his downfall. He had another dream. There was this beautiful, enormous tree It could be seen from the ends of the earth and a messenger from heaven came down and cut the tree. The dream bothered Nebuchadnezzar. He asked Daniel what the dream meant. And so now we see the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream shifting from a tree to a man who loses his mind and acts and behaves like an animal. But it does so For a reason. Notice verse 17. So the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. That was the whole purpose. Daniel told him, King, you're the tree. You're the tree. You're going to be driven from the cities of men. You're going to have to go out into the wilderness until seven times passes over. And it was at this point that Daniel pleaded with the king. He said, King, repent. Change what you're doing. He was getting closer. But closer doesn't count, does it? One year later, Nebuchadnezzar walked out. He was admiring his great palace. He was looking at what I believe was the hanging gardens of Babylon. And he said, Oh, this great kingdom that I have built. For my pleasure, for my power. As the words were on his tongue, God spoke from heaven. At that point, he was driven from the presence of men. He lived and behaved as an animal until seven times passed over. Whether that was seven months, the the cycle of the moon, or whether it was seven years, we don't know. But however long it was, it was long enough for him to get the message. Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance is alive and well today. But Nebuchadnezzar got the message. 
unlike our politicians, he acknowledged this, Daniel 4, verse 37. He said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. So maybe the question is this. Will Nebuchadnezzar be in heaven? I believe he will be. I believe he converted. I believe he began to follow the laws of God. But if he is, why is he? Do you believe it's because of Daniel, Hanani, Azariah, and Mishael? Those men stood firm in their beliefs of the God of heaven. What was it that the wise men told Nebuchadnezzar? We can't tell you what your dream was. That can only come from the gods, and they don't dwell with men. Did Nebuchadnezzar learn better when he looked into that fiery furnace and he saw the three men plus one with the faithful? He learned better, didn't he? He learned better. When Moses walked in the desert or the wilderness and he came upon the burning bush, he was in the very presence of God. God led the Israelites through the wilderness. They were in the very presence of God. He was on that mountain where his presence was when they received the law. It will be because if he is in heaven, because of the uncompromising faith of those three men. The Hebrew names or their Hebrew names reveal their underlying faith in God. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Shadrach in the Babylonian language, means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, known as Meshach, means who is, who is like God. Azariah, called Abednego, means Yahweh is my helper. Those four men, they uncompromisingly lived the way God wanted them to live and they changed the life of a pagan ruler. Now it took a little action on God's part, but God demonstrated Exactly who he was. Now notice what these men did. They didn't go try to burn the city down. They didn't cause a riot. Those four men lived the way that they were told to live and to conscientiously serve the Babylonians because that's what Jeremiah admonished. Jeremiah 29 verse 7. They could be followers of God under a dictator. That's the way their laws were. We can live under any regime... Now, thankfully, our laws aren't set up that way, but if our leaders do not stop being the arrogant, prideful people that they are on both sides of the aisle, we may be there before long. But it can change. And it changes with all of us first. We demonstrate our unwavering faith in God. We let that be known, and we stand up, and we support God. So when we think about it, if our husbands or wives are going to be into heaven... Why is that? Is it going to be because we helped them there? If our children are going to get to heaven, is it going to be because we helped them there? If our friends and co-workers get to heaven, will it be because we helped them to get there? We can make a difference in our own world.
God expects us to do that. But before we can make a difference, we have to be in God's family. We have to be followers of God. We have to be faithful to God. We have to obey the gospel. We know what that is, the plan of salvation. We talk about it. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water. So our sins can be cleansed and we can be added to the Lord's church. Now what if Daniel or Hananiah or Mishael or Azariah had not stood up and done the things that they needed to do? That happens sometimes, doesn't it? Thankfully, it didn't happen to them, but it happens sometimes. We look at some of the greatest people in, the, in the, the text of the Bible and they stumbled and they fell and they had to get right back up and they had to carry on and they had to do the things God asked them to do. But if, you, if that happens, we have to acknowledge that sin. We have to repent. We have to confess. We have to plead with God to forgive us and He wants to. How the arrogant fall, but they can get back up. You need to answer this Lord's invitation. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.